Good morning. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, verse 13, where we left off last week in our series of studies in the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas are on their missionary journey, the first missionary journey that Paul took. He and Barnabas have been ministering with John Mark on the island of Cyprus, and God has been doing amazing things. But now they decide, or the Holy Spirit decides, that they should leave Cyprus and sail to what is called Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. And now they're sort of in uncharted territory, and as I thought about it, I thought, why was the first missionary journey to Cyprus and then to Asia Minor? Why, Why was that? And it's pretty clear to me, the reason is that Barnabas was from Cyprus, And Saul, or Paul, was from Asia Minor. You see, they went to the places that they were familiar with. At least they started there, because why wouldn't you? You know, I think sometimes people are afraid to minister right where they are. They're looking for an opportunity elsewhere. Oh, pastor, I'm moving to California. Well, why are you going there? Well, because that's where the Lord's calling me. That's great. Well, what are you going to do out there? I'm going to do ministry. Well, that's interesting because in New Jersey, you haven't been doing ministry. So why are you going to do ministry in California? Well, pastor, the Lord is calling me to tell me the truth. Okay, it's sunny there. You see, I think sometimes we get into this thinking that over there, somewhere else, ministry takes place. Listen, ministry takes place right where you are. Yes, we're called to Jerusalem. That's that's the Jerusalem. That's where we are at the moment. And then there's the... Judea and Samaria, the areas around us, but ultimately the uttermost parts of the earth or the outmost parts of the earth, that is where God calls us to go. But if you've already been to a place, if you're familiar with the culture, and and this is something that you're more comfortable with, why would you start by going to Papua New Guinea, where you have to, you know, translate the Bible into the native language. Now, there's room for that, and, and clearly that is an important aspect of ministry. But I'm pretty certain that anybody that's called to go into the, the jungle has already done ministry in the areas they are comfortable in. So what I guess I'm trying to say is minister right where you are. Let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragement to minister from where we are to the ends of the earth. For you call us to where we're comfortable or where we're knowledgeable or where we have understanding, but then you oftentimes call us beyond that. But it starts where we are. We pray that we would be anointed and empowered by your spirit to do ministry at our jobs, at our schools, to minister the gospel in our families and in our neighborhood and in the areas we're connected to, our peer groups, our associations. Lord, we ask that as we do this, that you would go before us and that you would work mightily in the hearts of others, that they might receive the truth of the gospel and come to know you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in verse 13, let's look at verses 13 through, let's say, 15. Let's read that and then we'll get started here. We read that from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, a lot of P's there, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and sat down, and after reading from the law and the prophets, 
the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. What a wonderful opportunity for Saul, who's now referred to as Paul in the rest of the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas. They sailed from Paphos and Perga to Pamphylia and then went on to Pisidia and Antioch. They moved on. They had done what they were called to do on the island of Cyprus, and now they make their way to Asia Minor. Paul was not from this exact area of Asia Minor, but it was close by. He was from Cilicia. And what we do know is as they sailed from this this, uh, this area on Cyprus, uh, Paphos. Paphos was a maritime city. It had a harbor. It was on the west coast of the island of Cyprus. And so they take not a very short trip, but certainly not a very, very long trip to Pamphylia, which was a province in Asia Minor. And it bordered on the east with Cilicia. Now, the reason I point that out is because Paul was from Cilicia. But Paul had spent several years ministering in Cilicia and Tarsus, And so he wasn't interested in going back to a place he had spent years ministering. He wanted to go a little bit farther from where he had ministered, where he was familiar with it, but he also knew the gospel had not yet gone. It's a little outside where he's comfortable, but it's not so far that he can't relate to the people. Are you with me? See, I think so many times we think God calls us to missions, and it's just like you go from zero to 60. You don't go from zero to 60. By that I mean, when I first went on my very first missions trip, it was to Alaska. It's still the United States, Anchorage, Alaska. Very different place, wonderful trip, but it wasn't Cuba, which took place years later in 2004. Cuba was very foreign to me. But in the interim between Alaska and Cuba, I ministered for 17 years in New York City, which again is sort of like Paul, who, you know, I'm from New Jersey, right? But he was from Cilicia, but Pamphylia is like the next area over. And so what God did in my heart and my, my life during that time was prepare me for cultures a little different than mine, but not so foreign by that point that I couldn't go. Now, I didn't speak Spanish, but I learned to speak Spanish and a couple trips to Central America and Over the years, I I learned to preach in Spanish, but then basically went back to Cuba. Cuba changed a lot over the times that I had been there. And I realized that I'm very comfortable now in Latin America. I'm very comfortable in Central America. But I wasn't comfortable when I first went. But God doesn't just call you from zero to 60. There's a preparation. There's a, there's a, a plan that God has that leads you along the way so that when you do get to that place where you are a little outside your element, at least you're effective. Amen? At least you're effective. You got a long way to go, but you start by being somewhat effective because God has prepared you for the work. One of the big mistakes people make is not going on missions trips. The second mistake people make is going on missions trips that they're not prepared for. See, I think you have to be very, very logical and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and recognize that not every one of us is called to go to every other place in the world, but that you may not be ready for a trip, as I mentioned before, to the jungles of Papua New Guinea. But you might be ready to take a trip, as Pastor Joe led a team this last summer, to West Virginia. 
which again is very different, but not so far away. It's still the United States. So one of the things I think you have to realize is missions isn't this jump. It's a logical progression as God moves in your life. And that's how the great missionaries of the first century reached the world. Little by little, they ventured out beyond their comfort zones as they were called and led by the Holy Spirit. I guess the gist of it is be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So now... They're in Pamphylia, a province of Asia Minor. And there's this town, it's called Perga. It's, uh, it's near the Cestius River on the coast of Asia Minor. It's the first place they land. Perga was the capital of Pamphylia and well known for pagan worship. It was well known for the worship of Artemis, also referred to by the Romans as Diana. And so this is a little foreign, isn't it? This is a little bit different. The people here are pagans. They are not necessarily as open to the gospel as some other areas have been. And at this moment, John Mark goes home. He leaves them in Perga. He goes home to Jerusalem. He's in a port city. He can get on a ship right now and sail home. And and home isn't that far away. He's a young man. We talked about John Mark last week. God used him mightily throughout his life. We'll talk more about him in the future. But he's the author of the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. But at this point, he's a young man, maybe in a little over his head. Maybe he jumped in with both feet and didn't realize that this, this was very different. When he gets to Perga, it's very different. And I'm not sure exactly why, but we have some indications later on that he really pretty much deserted Barnabas, who was his relative, and Paul. He pretty much said, I've had it. Now, I'm going to tell you something because I've mentioned this before. We usually go on on a mission trip for about a week, right, Pastor Joe? We've done two weeks. We've done longer, but we usually go for a week. About Thursday, because we usually come back on Saturday or Sunday, but about Thursday, you reach this point like John Mark where you just want to go home. You got one more day, one more full day of ministry, typically. You're tired. You haven't slept in a comfortable bed. You've been eating food that doesn't exactly agree with your stomach. You spend a little bit more quiet time, if you know what I mean, in the morning than you usually do. And what's happened is you're out of your element. You're a little uncomfortable. And and, and you know what? It's really easy at this point to say, hmm, you know, I could take an early flight, get home by tomorrow and eat a hamburger. And you know, the thing is, It's so tempting when we're being stretched. It's so tempting to call it quits. I see John shaking his head. Now, he went out to sports camp this last summer, and I guess that's why you're shaking your head. Pastor Kurt and ISC did a great job this this summer with their camp, and many of you were a part of that camp. And I'm certain, Julio, I'm certain that at some point during your week or weeks, you thought to yourself, you know, it's only about three hours east to go home. I'm just pointing this out because don't think you're the only one who's thought that. We all get tired. We all get worn out. And sometimes, you know, there are times where someone's really just shot and they need to go home. But, but for the most part, those are the moments where we need to persevere. 
If God has called us, and I assume John Mark was called by God, if God has indeed called us, then we need to stick it out. That's true for the Sunday school teacher who has a really rough Sunday with 12 toddlers. That's true for the nursery care worker who suddenly had six screaming babies who all scream in unison. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been around a lot of kids? After a while, they develop sort of like, they're like the three tenors. They sort of develop this, they all sort of sympathetically cry. One starts to cry, the other cries. They cry in perfect harmony. Not really. But it's true for the nursery care worker. It's true for the worker with young adults or Calvary kids. It's true for every single person in ministry, myself included. We have moments where we think, you know, I don't really have to do this today. I can call in. And John Mark did that. Now, I just want to encourage you that he bounced back. But this was not his greatest moment. Remember that Paul and Barnabas had taken John Mark to Antioch after their mission in Jerusalem. So John Mark had this wonderful experience. You know, he's with them. It's all exciting. They go to Cyprus. It's not that far. And I assume he had a pretty good time. Uh, But then he deserted them in Pamphylia and he didn't continue in the work. Well, Paul, Paul and Barnabas went on. They went on to Antioch and they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. Why would they do that? Because they're Jews. And these people knew the word of God. As I shared last week, a really good place to start is with people who already know the word of God. They may not be Christians, or they may be nominal Christians, but they know the word of God. Why not start with them? So many times, well, I don't want to deal with those people. They're religious. Well, they've read their Bibles. They went to church. Well, it's not the kind of church that I go to find, but they know the word of God. You can start there. It's a little different than trying to reach someone who's into Zoroasterism. I know most of you are like, what? Exactly. So I think that it's really important that we recognize that we don't have to go out of our ways, you know, to to, to find the most difficult ministry on earth to be faithful to God. Sometimes it's as easy as you're a musician, you hang around with musicians, so guess who you minister to? Musicians. Sometimes it's as easy as that. Sometimes it's just recognizing that God has placed you in a place, at a school, at a job, in a community, on a board. And you have an opportunity that I will never have to reach a group of people that only you can reach, that you can relate to. So getting on a plane and flying to California or somewhere else in the world to do ministry doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me if you have people around you that you can minister to. Well, that's exactly what they did. Now, one other thing I want to mention, because when you cross-reference 2 Corinthians and Galatians, Paul's epistles, his writings, you learn that there was a little bit more going on here than you may be aware of just from the writing of the book of Acts. Paul may have contracted malaria. I've never had malaria. I heard it's very bad. But I do know that Paul may have contracted malaria while he was in the coastal regions of Perga. So they land in this area and Paul gets sick. Let me tell you, if you've ever been sick on a missions trip, there is nothing worse because the bathrooms are not what they are here. And you're not home. You don't have mommy to tuck you into bed. It is very challenging and difficult. I remember we went on a trip one time. I think Rachel was on that trip. 
uh, one of our pastors got sick and he was, he was uh, in his room for two or three days with a fever. You fly all the way down to Central America just to be in your room. It can be very difficult. Well, we know Paul became ill. Most you know, scholars kind of think that it was probably malaria because that's prevalent in that part of the world. So that was going on too, which more than likely had a lot to do with why John said, I'm out of here. You understand. Now, Paul traveled north at this point into Galatia because the symptoms of this illness were so severe. He talks about this in Galatians 4. And the cities of Iconium, Lystra, Derby, they're in southern Galatia on the border of Pisidia. And that's where ultimately Paul and Barnabas have tremendous success. I mean, they, they have a lot of challenges, but they have tremendous success. And Paul would later minister there two more times on his second and third missionary journeys. So could it be, I, I'll just throw this out there, that sometimes God works through illness. Could it be that sometimes things like that happen so that we'll move on to an area where God has actually called us? Perhaps. Because I do know this, that the Holy Spirit may have directed them to leave Perga and go to Galatia through this illness. In fact, that's what Paul intimates in his writings. They couldn't stay in this area, this swampy area, because Paul was ill. And so they moved on. John leaves, and now Paul and Barnabas move on to an area that's a little bit better for them and for their health. Now, they chose not to stay in Perga, but to travel through Pamphylia to a place called Antioch in Pisidia. Now, you may be a little confused because their home church is in Antioch in Syria. It's a different Antioch. This is Antioch in Pisidia. And Pisidia was a mountainous region of Asia Minor, north of Pamphylia. So they go from the coastal swampy areas to the mountains, which would have been a lot better for Paul's health. Antioch was a principal city in Pisidia. It's on the border of Phrygia, which is another area they'll ultimately get to. It shared the same name as Antioch in Syria, where their home church was located. It was also, like Antioch in Syria, founded in 300 B.C., by Seleucus Nicanor, the father, uh, his father was uh, Antiochus or Antiochus, and he, so he named these cities after his dad. And that's why they have the same name. Now, they attended the synagogue. This synagogue is in the city of Antioch. And they go there on the Sabbath, which was, of course, when you went to the synagogue. And the rulers of the synagogue read from the law and the prophets. Is this a setup or what? In fact, Paul's about to share a sermon, and I'm suspecting that much of what they read is incorporated in his gospel presentation. The word of God, it starts with the word of God in the synagogue. So the rulers come out, they read from the law, and they read from the prophets. That is to say, they read from the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament was still being written, and much of it hadn't even been thought of yet from in the minds of the writers. So this is truly the only Bible they have. Now, what would you do if the only Bible you had was the Old Testament? I know some of you are thinking, I read it once. I read the book of Genesis. You know, one of the things we do in, in mentoring is I challenge, one of the very first classes in mentoring, the guys who've been through mentoring know this, we, we do a class on Jesus-centric Bible study. And I randomly, we sort of randomly select scriptures in the in the, in the Bible, and many of the times it ends up being in the Old Testament. And, and you have to sort of use that scripture, whatever it is, 
to preach the gospel. And Jesus said, you search the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life, but they are that which testifies of me. So can you preach the gospel from any passage of the scripture, and specifically and especially the Old Testament? Well, that exercise is always interesting, but I think the most interesting part of it is that everyone always can, because all of the scripture speaks of the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Well, so they're reading, and then the rulers give Paul and Barnabas an opportunity to encourage the people. Why would that be? Well, I don't believe Barnabas was a Pharisee, but I know Paul was. Paul was a rabbi. And we do know, though, that Barnabas was a Levite. So these are pretty religious men. They're pretty well-known. Barnabas was fairly wealthy. Uh, Paul was well-known. Being a Pharisee, you sort of had carte blanche to walk into a synagogue and and based on, on your reputation, now I assume that Paul wasn't still dressing like a Pharisee, but you would walk into a synagogue and if you were dressed like a Pharisee or if they knew you were a Pharisee, they would certainly ask you to say something. That's very common at this time. So that's why they went to the synagogues. They, they had a captive audience. They, they could walk in there, the word of God would be read, and then they could teach from the word of God. Okay, so that makes sense. But do you see so far, brothers and sisters, how so much of what we've read already tells us that they weren't looking to go into a place that they would be less effective. They were looking to go into a place where they would be most effective. Are you with me? Say amen. Okay, that's the take home. Here's the thing. Paul then goes on to address the Jews and the Gentiles in the synagogue in Antioch. Yes, Gentiles would attend synagogue. They had to sit separately, but they could attend if they were interested. And if they became Jews, then they were proselytes and they were included as a part of the synagogue. But we'll see that this is what happens here. Look, I want to read the whole sermon because I want you to know that this is, this is really quite interesting. This is Paul's only recorded sermon in the Bible. His only recorded sermon. He clearly had the gift of teaching, and he wrote extensively, and we have many of the things he shared, but this is the only recorded sermon, and so I don't want to interrupt it. I just want to read it and make comments on it, because do I need to add to the sermon of Paul the Apostle? No, I do not. So back to our text in verse 16, we're going to read the sermon, and I want you to listen to it as if it were you sitting in the synagogue and Paul was speaking it, and uh, let the Lord speak to you. So in verse 16, standing up, Paul motioned with his hand, which just have to say, he may have been part Italian. I'm kidding, of course. Paul motioned with his hand and said, men of Israel... And you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. And then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. And after removing Saul, he made David their king. And he testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. 
From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. As he promised, before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. And as John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not that one. No, but he is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, the children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning them and condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news of the gospel. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. In fact, that, the fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere. You will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Paul's only recorded sermon. It's a doozy. He did a great job of communicating every point that needs to be communicated when you share the gospel. And I really don't need to, nor do I want to add all that much to it. But I want to look at it for a minute and show you what he did. He spoke to them, even though Barnabas had the gift of encouragement, he spoke. Why did he spoke? Well, because Paul, he's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's the, the better qualified person to bring a teaching, although Barnabas perhaps more qualified and gifted to bring encouragement. And I'm sure Barnabas did bring encouragement, but I know that Paul was called to teach. So he stood up and he spoke to them. Now, Barnabas had mentored Paul and encouraged him to share his gifts. And when given the opportunity, that's exactly what Paul did. There was no rivalry between these two very gifted men. So he goes on to recount Israel's history from Abraham to David, whose son would be Messiah. You can see why he went from Abraham to David. And then he proclaimed that God's promise to bring Messiah was fulfilled in Jesus. That's the revelation of the Messiah. He recounted the ministry of John who prepared the way for Jesus to come. Recorded in the Gospels, of course. And he declared that the message of salvation had come to Israel through Jesus. He also recounted Israel's rejection of Jesus. 
Jesus' death and his resurrection, which is essential to the gospel message. For if he didn't die, he can't be our savior. And if he wasn't raised, he can't give us eternal life. And we'll be commemorating that and remembering that during our communion service in just a few minutes. Now, he goes on to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, but this is so wonderful. He does this from the Psalms and from the book of Isaiah. And that's really interesting because I think most of you, given the opportunity to share the gospel, would go to Romans. But Romans wasn't written yet. Not even close. Paul would go on to write Romans. But even the book of Romans is based on quoting the Old Covenant. So what Paul did here is he takes scriptures, scriptures that may have even been read that morning or that day on the Sabbath, and he begins to share the gospel. He goes to Psalm 2, verse 7, uh, which predicts Jesus' resurrection as the Son of God. When he says, you are my son, today I have become your father, speaking of the resurrection. Then he goes to Isaiah 55, verse 3. And this is interesting. He said, I will give you uh, the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Now, what is that all about? Well, the blessings and promise or blessings that were promised to David are in fact the holy and sure blessings that were promised to all Israel. And they are available, this is what Paul would say, now through a new covenant established in the son of David. So he's going to the Jews, he's saying the promises of God have been fulfilled. Amen? That's really what he's saying, but he's using the scripture to do that. Then he goes to Psalm 16, verse 10, and this is a good one. He says, you will not let your Holy One see decay. And he uses that to make the point that these verses didn't just speak about David, because David had died. David was dead and buried in a tomb in Israel. They knew where he was buried. But David spoke of God's promise to send his descendant. Messiah. And David predicted that Messiah would be raised from the dead to everlasting life. So don't tell me the message of the gospel is not in the Old Testament. Paul had no problem finding it. And he didn't even have a New Testament. In fact, he's one of the writers of the New Testament. So it's very important that you see that the word of God is integral. That is, it is one, the Old and New Covenant. Uh, It's been said this way. The, let's see if I can get this right. The old, the new and the old contained, the old and the new explained. And I think that's really true. I mean, you need both, and, and God's word is complete when you teach from both. So, he quotes from the Psalms, quotes from Isaiah. By the way, Peter had also quoted this Psalm, Psalm 16, verse 10, on the day of Pentecost, when he testified to Jesus' resurrection. So that's not just his novel idea that you can quote from that verse. Uh, also, he warned them from Habakkuk. How many of you guys even know there is a book called Habakkuk? I heard of a story one time of a, a, a pastor who was a bit of a wise guy. And he opened up his Bible and he said, I would like you to turn today to the book of Hezekiah. That's really a nasty trick, because if you don't know your Bible and you start turning your pages, there isn't a book of Hezekiah. But if you thought there was, you would try to... By the way, if you can't find a book of the Bible, they got this wonderful thing. It's called the Table of Contents. Hezekiah is not in it, but Habakkuk is. Now, the book of Habakkuk, it's a little book. It's not a big book, but it's interesting because he warned them, Paul warned them from Habakkuk not to reject God's salvation through Jesus Christ. And I want to warn you today, if you haven't already received Jesus Christ, 
Don't reject the message of salvation. In fact, you have an opportunity this morning in just a few minutes to receive the gospel message that Paul just preached through communion. See, communion is is testifying that you believe what we just read, what Paul just preached. It's believing the truth that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose again on the third day, and, and ascended into heaven, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We talk about the bread, which represents his body. We talk about the wine or the cup that talks about his blood. And those things are symbols of the truths that we're talking about right now. So if you receive them, you're saying, I believe them. If you receive them, you believe them. So if you don't believe them, please don't receive them. But please receive them. Please believe them. You see, here's the thing. This warning, he wanted them to know that through Jesus, their sins could be forgiven. Can I hear an amen? Everyone who put their faith in Jesus and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus is justified apart from the law. You don't have to keep a set of rules and regulations to be saved. You need only believe the truths of communion, the truths of of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, ascended into heaven, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Paul warned them not to fulfill the word of the prophets for those that reject God, because the scripture has a lot to say about those that reject this message. Habakkuk 1.5 warned Israel that they would perish if they rejected God's work. Let's read it again, because it's quoted there in verse 41. Look, you scoffers, Wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. Now you might be thinking, ooh, that sounds wonderful. It's not. That's a message of judgment against those that would reject God's word. In other words, what we're reading is, be concerned because God's going to do something in judgment that you can't even begin to imagine. And if someone told you, you wouldn't believe it. That sounds pretty bad to me. That sounds really bad. That's because it is really bad. Scoffers would perish in their confusion for rejecting God's word. And God would bring unbelievable judgment against his own people. So don't scoff. Receive. Believe and receive so that you do not have to experience this type of judgment. Finally, and as I asked the worship team to come up, It goes on to say that as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, this is pretty interesting, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. I would call that very successful ministry. I would. Paul and Barnabas were invited to return to the Jewish synagogue to proclaim the word of God. If you're invited as a guest speaker, and Pastor Kurt oftentimes is a guest speaker as he shares the ministry of Inspire Sports Camps. Pastor Joe, our missions pastor, uh, also many times will be a guest speaker as he shares the vision of Straight Path Ministries. Others of you have had opportunities to be guest speakers. Here's the thing. When you're a guest speaker, you know it went well if they invite you back. If they didn't, it probably didn't. But, you know, it may be that you shared a truth that they didn't want to hear. Or it it just could be that the people didn't want to hear it. 
and you did everything that you, you, you were supposed to do and you honored God, but like Jeremiah, the people didn't have a heart to receive the truth. But if they do invite you back, it's a good bet that they want to hear more. That's exactly what happened. The people wanted to hear more about the gospel of Jesus Christ on the next Sabbath. See, see Paul and Barnabas only had a limited amount of time And the people had only had a limited amount of time to listen to them speak during the service. And we only have a limited amount of time on Sunday morning as well. They wanted them to speak further about Jesus and the Jewish scriptures. And maybe you're here this morning and in this limited amount of time, you've heard a truth that maybe you're not ready to receive, but you'd like to hear more about. Well, you can speak to pretty much anyone who's a regular member here and any one of our leaders or pastors, and they'd be glad to speak more to you about it. Or you can come back on Wednesday night when we start our series of studies in the book of 3 John, or you can come back next Sunday. We'd love to see you. But you know what? Can I just encourage you? Maybe you don't have all the information you need, but you know enough. You know this, because you don't know what will happen in the next week, whether you'll even be able to come back or whether you will come back or whether you won't even be around. What I do know is you have an opportunity today Because today is the acceptable day of salvation. You have an opportunity to put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ by receiving communion. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Many of the Jews and Gentile converts followed Paul and Barnabas out of the synagogue. Again, a pretty good sign. They continued to share the gospel with them, to teach them God's word. And I hope and pray that I'll have that opportunity with each and every one of you. But they urged them to put their faith in Jesus Christ and continue in the grace of God. And let me tell you, if that were my last message before the Lord comes back, imagine if that were the case. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Continue in the grace of God would be my message in either case. So I want to encourage you to continue in the grace of God. Continue in the love of God this week and every week as we anticipate his return. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father. As we prepare our hearts now to receive communion, we know that this is serious business. We don't want to do this unworthily. We don't want to just go through the motions because we've been receiving communion our whole lives to just come forward, receive the bread, receive the cup, and just do what Christians do either every week or every first Sunday of the month. Lord, we don't, we don't want to play games. As we come forward to the table, we, we want to acknowledge that this is a statement of faith that maybe we've made a, a thousand times before, but we make it afresh and anew. And for those of us who've never received communion as a statement of faith, I pray that this would be the moment that they do. As we acknowledge the bread, the body of our Lord and Savior, broken for us. And as we acknowledge the cup, the cup of salvation, that is a new covenant made in his blood for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we pray that you do this work in our hearts first and in our lives second. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.